an operating system. This is common language today. The majority of us have a computer with an operating system. Even our phones have operating systems. Over the last 30 years, these operating systems have come a long way. The systems that run our computers today are superior to the earliest operating systems released by Apple and Microsoft. Now, here's an unlikely scenario. Let's say you walk into Best Buy tomorrow and you purchase a brand new Apple computer. It has the latest operating system installed called Big Sur. The keyboard lights up, it's a big screen, and it has an enormous amount of storage on it. Now, after purchasing your new Apple computer, you walk over to the Geek Squad station, those folks at Best Buy who help with your tech needs. And you make a request. You want the first operating system that Apple ever offered installed on your new computer. Blank stares, laughter, and utter disbelief is the response that you'd get from your computer technicians. So you explain yourself. You had just recently read an article from the 1980s about how awesome this new operating system was. And you're convinced by the article. After all, the late Steve Jobs was very excited about this new operating system. And Mr. Jobs was a genius in the computer world. So even in this likely impossible scenario, the Geek Squad delivers your request. You now have a 2021 Apple computer with an operating system from 1984. Of course, this is an absurd idea. Likely, no one would ever do this. Was Apple's first operating system functional? Absolutely. Was it a good thing for the time? Yes. But would it work for today's world? No. The old operating systems would not be able to perform the functions that we require of our computers today. And as we'll see in today's comparison between the Mosaic Covenant and the New Covenant, the New Covenant is a superior operating system. It's so superior, we must wonder to ourselves why anybody would want to keep functioning under the old operating system. On today's episode, we'll explore the differences between the Mosaic Covenant and the New Covenant. What makes these two covenants unique? Who are the contracted parties in these covenants? And how does understanding these covenants inform our overall Bible reading? Thanks for joining us today on this 68th episode of the Tove Podcast. You are listening to the Tove Podcast. Well, to begin our exploration into the differences and similarities between the Mosaic Covenant and the New Covenant, we need to consult the biblical texts and the descriptions that are offered. First, we're going to explore the Mosaic Covenant. Our main text for this covenant is found in Exodus chapter 19. It reads as follows. On the third new moon after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt... On that day, they came into the wilderness of Sinai. Now, what we learn from verse 1 there is that it took approximately three months 
for the people of Israel to come out of Egypt and arrive at Mount Sinai, where they would receive the law of Moses. Verse 2, they set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, that's another term for Israel, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you remember the story, what God is referencing here is how he absolutely pummeled the Egyptians until they finally let Israel go. Verse 5, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Okay, so God tells Moses that after Moses ascends to the mountaintop. And now Moses has got to go back down and relay God's offer to the people of Israel. Verse 7, So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. Now, let's stop right there a second. What's fascinating there is that the Lord hasn't actually told them what they're to do yet. You see, the law is forthcoming. All of the commandments are forthcoming. And yet what we see from Israel here is that they agree to do all that God commands them to do before they even receive the commandments. So all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you, and may also believe you forever. Now, that is just the initial installment of the Mosaic Covenant, because as you continue to read through the Hebrew Scriptures from Exodus 19, Exodus 20, and then ongoing, following the Israelites through their wilderness wanderings for the next 40 years, what you see is that God continues to add law after law, statute after statute, and the people must obey each of these if they're going to keep their part of the contract. And we don't have the time today to walk through the whole rest of the Mosaic Covenant and all of the laws that are included therein. But let me just tell you, it is a plethora of laws, over 600 different commandments, ranging from dietary restrictions to appointed times to blood sacrifices. There is a whole range of laws and statutes that will govern the Israelite nation as they continue on. Now, let's talk about some characteristics of this particular covenant. First of all, we must recognize that although it is extensive, it is not the entire Hebrew Scriptures. The Mosaic Law is only a portion of the Hebrew Scriptures, and it's primarily found from Exodus chapter 19 
and onwards through Deuteronomy. Now, this can be confusing for people who are trying to understand the Bible. As we've discussed on previous episodes, there are multiple covenants found in the Bible. And an understanding of these covenants really helps us to grasp the entire storyline of the Scriptures. If you're not yet familiar with these different covenants found in the Bible, check out Season 2, Episodes 1-6, through where we talk about each individual covenant found in Scripture. So, going back to the confusion that's often experienced. You see, our common term for the Hebrew Scriptures is Old Testament, and this is confusing on a couple different levels. First, it makes it seem like the entirety of the Hebrew Scriptures, Genesis all the way through Malachi, is an outdated and therefore secondary or inferior part of the Bible. And this is just not the case. Second, the two names that we give to the two different parts of the Bible, Old and New, make it seem as if the Bible has just two covenants, an Old Covenant and a New Covenant. Most people correctly believe that we're in the New Covenant age. But we often fail to explain that the Hebrew Bible contains several covenants. And when the New Covenant refers to the Old Covenant, it's not talking about the entirety of the Hebrew Scriptures. It's talking about the Mosaic Covenant. And so when we read Old Covenant in the New Testament, we must be aware that the term is not used of the entire Hebrew Bible. Although some people might want to separate the Mosaic Law into three categories, namely civil, ceremonial, and moral, the Bible treats the Mosaic Law as just one. If people living during the era of the Mosaic Law did not perform a ceremonial function as it was commanded, then it was ultimately a moral failure. Making these distinctions might be helpful when we're looking at different aspects of the law, but they are all moral in their essence because they were commanded by God. Another aspect of the Mosaic Law, or the covenant, is that it is conditional. This covenant is dependent upon the behavior of Israel. This is unlike other covenants that are unconditional in nature, such as the covenant that God made with Abraham in Genesis chapter 15, or the covenant that God made with David in 2 Samuel 7, or even the new covenant of Jeremiah chapter 31, which we'll talk about later. All of those covenants are unconditional, meaning there's nothing that humans can do, there's nothing that Israel can do to upset the covenant or break the covenant. Unconditional covenants are completely dependent upon God's faithfulness, and therefore, they'll never be broken by human fickleness. Sometimes the Mosaic Covenant gets a bad rap. However, just because it's old doesn't mean it's bad. In fact, according to Romans chapter 7, verses 7 through 12, the Mosaic Law is good and holy. The problem with the Mosaic Law is that it is insufficient to bring about the redemption that's needed for the forgiveness of sins. And what we learn in the New Covenant is that only Messiah can do that. And just as those first operating systems from Apple and Microsoft were good for their time and worked well, so the law is good and worked well for a time. Here's what Romans chapter 7 says. What shall we say then? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. 
for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had said, You shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness, for apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. So when we think about the Mosaic law or the old covenant, we want to maintain a balance. The Mosaic law is good and it's holy, but it's also insufficient. The Mosaic law could never take away the sins of people because it was using the blood of bulls and goats. And the Mosaic law, as we'll see in a second, has been completely transcended by a more superior covenant. That's the new covenant. And we'll talk about it when we come back in just a second on the Tove podcast. Since 1887, Life in Messiah has helped Christians understand the Jewish roots of our faith and God's ongoing commitment to his people. We teach that anti-Semitism is inconsistent with biblical faith and we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, which includes her spiritual renewal as well as physical safety. In all we do, our priority is to share the gospel message. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or at lifeinmessiah.org. That's lifeinmessiah.org. Now that we've explored the Old Covenant or the Mosaic Covenant in brief, let's turn our attention to the New Covenant. Our primary text for the New Covenant, at least from the Hebrew Scriptures, is found in Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 to 40. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Now, we must stop right there. One of the questions we want to answer is, who are the covenants made with? As we learned from Exodus 19 and 20, the Mosaic covenant was specifically made with the nation of Israel. The same is true of the new covenant, as we see from chapter 31 of Jeremiah, verse 31. Jeremiah, proclaiming that there will be a new covenant, says that it will be with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, essentially the nation of Israel. Verse 32, Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. So first we must ask ourselves, what covenant is being referred to here? Because Jeremiah says it's not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. Well, as we just learned in Exodus chapter 19, within three months of the Israelites coming out of Egypt, they were at the foot of Mount Sinai entering into the Mosaic Covenant. So clearly, the covenant that's being compared here is the Mosaic Covenant to the New Covenant. And then, of course, Jeremiah declares that they broke this covenant though the Lord was a husband to them. Verse 33, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and will write it on their hearts. Now that's fascinating because in the previous covenant, 
God wrote the law on tablets of stone, and then he continued to give them laws thereafter. But in the New Covenant, God doesn't write the law on a piece of paper and give it to someone or even a stone. He writes it on their hearts. And he says, I will be their God and they will be my people. Verse 34 says, No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their iniquity and will remember their sin no more. Now that's a fascinating provision of the new covenant, is that all of Israel will eventually know the Lord, from the least of them to the greatest of them. And there won't even be a need for people to teach one another for they will all know the Lord. Now, Paul also points to this day in Romans chapter 11, when he proclaims that one day all Israel will be saved. Now, the context in which Jeremiah is giving this message is really a horrible situation for Israel. Just a couple centuries earlier, the Assyrian army had come into the northern kingdom, Israel, invaded it, demolished it, and carried a lot of its inhabitants back to Assyria. And at this time, when Jeremiah is living and writing, the Babylonians are knocking on the door. And God has told Jeremiah that the Babylonians are coming in and they are going to decimate Jerusalem because of the sins of Israel. So dark days lie ahead. And it is not uncommon, as we've learned here on the Tove podcast time and again, for God to incorporate hope amidst judgment. And that's what we see in verse 35 of Jeremiah chapter 31. Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. Verse 36. If this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then shall the offspring of Israel cease from being a nation before me forever. Now, Essentially, what God is saying through the prophet Jeremiah there is that as long as we see the sun out, as long as the moon and the stars are shining, and as long as the waves are roaring, so Israel is a distinct nation before God. And only if that fixed order departs will Israel cease being a nation. Verse 37, God restates this principle. Thus says the Lord, If the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth below can be explored. Then I'll cast off all the offspring of Israel for all that they've done, declares the Lord. You see, it's amazing here that even though Israel is in such a bad predicament, that the Babylonian army is being sent to wipe out the temple, to murder and annihilate many people, and to essentially take the nation into exile. Even though that's the horrible situation, God still says he is preserving this nation before him. You see, this new covenant is initiated by God, and it's made with Israel. Thankfully, through grace and faith in the Messiah, Gentile believers can experience spiritual blessings of the new covenant. Commenting on Jeremiah chapter 31, I like what the Moody Bible Commentary says. Quote, The church's participation in the new covenant is real. It is not the ultimate fulfillment of God's promise. That all believers today, whether Jewish or Gentile, enjoy the spiritual blessings of the new covenant 
does not mean that God is finished with his plan for the Jewish people. In other words, partaking of the new covenant does not mean overtaking of the new covenant. The Moody Bible Commentary continues. Scripture clearly says, Days are coming when all the spiritual and physical blessings promised to Israel will be realized by her. That still awaits the day when Israel will acknowledge her sin and turn to her Messiah for forgiveness, when all Israel will be saved. The new covenant, made possible by the blood of the Messiah, brought redemption to the world and will ultimately bring unique blessing to Israel. End quote. You see, the new covenant is not like the law of Moses in some respects. One of the main differences is that the new covenant is unconditional. There is nothing that Israel or the nations can do to upset the promises God made in the new covenant. Whereas the Mosaic covenant, the law of Moses found in Exodus 19 and 20 and following, is completely conditional on Israel's behavior. And as we'll see in just a second, the entire law of Moses has been completely replaced and superseded by this new, much superior new covenant. So Jeremiah prophesied the new covenant's coming, but has it arrived? Well, the New Testament tells us that it has. We see this in Matthew chapter 26, verses 26 through 30. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. You see, Jesus taught about the arrival of the new covenant at his final Passover meal. It was inaugurated by the shedding of his blood. Being God in the flesh, Jesus is the only one that has the authority to do this. Another important text about the new covenant is found in Hebrews chapter 7, verses 11 to 22. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under the Levitical priesthood the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than the one named in the order of Aaron? For when there's a change in the priesthood, there's necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belonged to another tribe from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord, Jesus of Nazareth, was descended from Judah. And in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. So in other words, the author of Hebrews here brings up a really good point. He says, listen, if there's really been a change from covenant to covenant, if there's really been a new operating system that has been released and initiated, how's that happen here? Because... This God-man, Jesus, is not from the tribe of Levi, which is where priests were always descended from under the Mosaic law. And so the author of Hebrews says, Jesus was descended from Judah. So how is it that he can be this new high priest for a new covenant? 
He continues in verse 15. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, in other words, not by birth, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced, through which we draw near to God. Verse 20, And it was not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. We might sum up the differences and the similarities between the Mosaic law and the new covenant as follows. First, both were made between the same parties, that being the God of Israel and the nation of Israel. The second similarity is that God is utterly faithful for his part in the covenant. For the Mosaic covenant, God was completely faithful. And for the new covenant, God is completely faithful. However, the major difference between these two covenants is that one is conditional and the other is unconditional. The Mosaic law was conditional in that the blessings for it depended upon the Israelites' behavior, whether or not they would follow God's commandments and statutes that he set before them. However, the new covenant does not have an if-then clause. The new covenant is simply God's promise, which is predicated completely on his faithfulness. As Jeremiah 31 told us, there's nothing that Israel can or can't do to nullify their national status before God. And there's nothing they can or can't do to ensure that the promises are eventually realized. We also learn from the book of Hebrews that the new covenant is ultimately superior. And the new covenant is superior on several levels. First, it has a superior priesthood. Whereas the one priesthood was based on human genealogy, this priesthood is based on an oath from God and the order of Melchizedek, which is an eternal order of priests. Second, it's based on better sacrifices. Under the Mosaic law, priests had to continually bring sacrifices, which covered the sins of the people. However, with the new covenant, there is a sacrifice that is once and for all by the God-man, Jesus of Nazareth. His blood is far superior compared to the blood of bulls and goats. His blood completely removes sins, both past, present, and future. Whereas in the previous covenant, the, bull, the blood of bulls and goats could not remove sins at all. It could only cover sins. And finally, the Mosaic covenant is completely outdated. It is an operating system that God no longer uses to govern the Israelites or the world. The new operating system that God is currently using to govern the world is the new covenant. And I'd like to encourage you to install the newest operating system. How do you do that? 
Well, you don't have to go down to Best Buy. Rather, to install the newest operating system, you simply place your faith in God's provision for sin. That being Jesus, the God-man from Nazareth. By placing our faith in Jesus alone, we become partakers of the new operating system, the new covenant. And as a result, God's Spirit begins to indwell us. Then the process of sanctification begins and the operating system takes over. Just as you can choose not to download the latest operating systems for your computer or phone, the same is true today. God's not going to force this new operating system on you. But it is an offer that stands by grace through faith in the revealed will of God. And what God has revealed to us is that the way to partake of this new covenant is by simply believing in Jesus of Nazareth. Well, thanks for joining us today on the Tove Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed our discussion about the distinctions and similarities between the Mosaic Covenant and the New Covenant. If you've enjoyed this episode, chances are your friends and family would too. Feel free to share the link to the episode using tovepodcast.com or look us up on Spotify or iTunes to see previous episodes. Be sure to join us next week as returning guest David Barker discusses Hanukkah and whether or not there's any biblical significance. Until next week, Shalom. Shalom.